Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you can find some means of having an income from your family home, as well as it being your family home, then I think that's sort of justification for having so much money in your family home. This is Property Invest Story, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we'll continue the conversation with property investor and director at the School of Renovating, Bernadette Jansen. She'll discuss what she did to secure $100,000 a year for her retirement and the project she's undergoing in partnership with her children that is controversially smashing avocados. Also, before we delve into this episode, go over to propertyinveststory.com and subscribe to receive your free property investor case studies where you'll learn how to generate passive income from your properties. Go there now to sign up for free. Firstly, what was holding Jansen back from initially investing into property? The main thing that I had to get over was uh, getting comfortable with debt um, because uh, you know, when you are when you are building your um, wealth through property, you have to get comfortable with it. And like, I never really, um, I don't ever really take it lightly. But I certainly see it as a tool now, and not um, not as something to fear. Um, and I think that's an important um, adjustment to make. Uh, particularly, you know, a lot of people in my generation, um, you know, tend to be the same and um, you do need to really uh, manage that if you want to build wealth and you want to do it in a fairly timely way. When conditioning her mindset and getting help throughout her journey, she enlisted the aid of a coach. I actually have a personal coach, um, a performance coach who who's um, probably been the main, um, my main support in that process. Working on limiting beliefs, so, you know, and and um, you, my thinking around money, um, so uh, because, you know, most of us take our, um, our mindset around money from our families. I, I was in a family where my father was mentally not that well and was very concerned, had what I call a depression mentality. And um, and so I'd form views around money that weren't overly helpful or productive. So um, by working on breaking down those, those beliefs and creating new ones that were more empowering, um, 
I was able to um, transform that form of thinking. In terms of resources, her favorite property-related book is a classic written by Napoleon Hill, which she recommends to listeners as a powerful source of information that is still relevant now. My favorite book is Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it, given that it was written in, I think, 1937, it has it holds some incredibly powerful concepts. Uh, that's probably. Um, the one that I've found has been most impactful on what I've been trying to achieve. I think it's around, um, like he talks about having that uh, burning desire. So I think around being really present to what it is you, you want in your life. And for me, my burning desire hasn't actually always been about me. Like obviously I want great things for myself, but it's really around the people that I'm close to, that I, that I want to know, you know, things like our children. Not that I want to give them everything, but, um, and, yeah, it's it's about uh, being able to, to give them, um, you know, the sort of life that we want. And in particular, like, over recent years, my mum has, um, has uh, been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so being able to keep her, to pay for care and to keep her in her own home for as long as possible has been a really um, burning sort of motivation for for my success. And the best advice she has ever received? Don't sell. I think that's probably the best advice. On finding out that she didn't have enough to comfortably retire on, Jensen developed a strategy that would allow her to accumulate the wealth she needed to feel secure. So um, basically, I looked at. I decided that we would uh, we would not rely on super for retirement. That we would generate our retirement income uh, independently of super, and um, so that that was sort of the cream. Um, and I looked at what we would need to live on if we didn't have. Um, well, we don't have a mortgage, but um, if we didn't have the costs that we have with children and whatever. And I figured out that we probably needed around about 100000 a year. And so I looked at what we would need in property to be able to generate 100000 a year because I thought if um, if you do it in property, then rent remains, stays abreast with CPI. Um, and so that's just how that, that's just how I worked it out. So, um, so buying enough property to be able to generate um, at least 100000 per year um, and so that, that's the first thing I did. Did that, got it sorted out. So the development, um, I'm actually at the moment looking at um, affordable accommodation, which I'm finding quite interesting. Um, so I'm thinking that I'm probably going to um, implement that on that particular site um, because it's incredibly cash flow positive and it also um, meets the need in the community. So, yeah. So that's what I did. So I got that sorted out first and then started playing. To achieve a goal of hitting $100,000 a year, she started out by purchasing a property in Redfern, which is now an unencumbered property. Because we purchased that to downsize into, um, it, it, yeah, it is unencumbered and it has the capacity, because it's dual occupancy, it has the capacity to produce, um, if we rent it on the long-term market, it produces around about six to 700 a week. And if we rent it on the short-term market, it's about 1,000 a week. 
In addition to this property, Jensen has a development project on the cards which will generate even more passive income to stabilize her portfolio. On the figures I've got at the moment, I've had it for quite a while um, but that will be probably around about 100,000 cash flow positive. This demonstrates that although many property investors believe they need 10, 20 or 50 properties to create real wealth, you can hold two great properties in your portfolio and do well. Well, it depends on the properties you buy, of course. Um, But yeah, so basically, like the other thing that really um, I I think is really valuable is most people have a lot of money stitched up in their family home, you know, and so as do we. Um, However, if you can find some means of having an income from your family home as well as it being your family home, then I think that's sort of justification for having so much money in your family home. So, um, and so that when I went to look for something, I looked for something that would have that potential. Whether or not we use it or not is another thing, but it's got that potential that if we need that um, in, in order to support our, our lifestyle, we have, we've got it. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into Jensen's strategy that she's implemented with success in terms of renovations. And when you're doing DIY, you don't factor in the work you do yourself. So in reality, that makes them unprofitable. How to assemble a team of trustworthy tradies within a week? I have actually put together a team in a week. It is possible. Um, you just got to follow a process um, and particularly in terms of due diligence with the trade. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey, podcast listeners. I just wanted to let you know about the podcast show notes I've created for you that you can download at freepropertyresource.com. Inside these show notes, I've included a full summary, details of the resources recommended plus much, much more. Just go to freepropertyresource.com to grab it now. It's free and it'll make the rest of the episode so much more impactful. Again, that's freepropertyresource.com. Now back to the show. To develop her current simplistic strategy for success, Jensen's methods have come a long way from flipping properties and making a profit. But for those who are interested in renovation, what has been her strategy to ensure they produce a great profit? One of the things that I didn't do in the early days that I now do is that I don't buy a property unless it's stacked up to renovate it, paying trade. Okay, so that's the first thing. So I've got a feasibility process that I go through to make sure that there's enough money in the deal to be able to pay trades through the project and make a profit. Um, so, you know, that's when you're thinking like a builder, you don't think of, about those things. And when you're doing DIY, you don't factor in the work you do yourself. So in reality, that makes them unprofitable. So I have to be much more strategic about the property I buy um, so that it does have that. Sometimes that means going up into a higher price bracket. Like I experimented and bought a tiny little place, a tiny little studio in in Surrey Hills, which was only 28 square metres, just to see how small I could go and still make a profit. Um, And I did, like I made 22,000 off a three-week reno that I really felt it was way too much work. 
but now I, I look at around about 900,000. You know, we work on roughly 10%. So if we um, buy a property worth 900,000, we, we're looking at around 90 to 100,000 profit. I think that, that, that it's worth the effort to do that. This draws similarities to development where generally the bigger the numbers, the greater the profits. I actually think around the million mark, well, particularly in Sydney, is the sweet spot. We are um, finding some deals in Queensland that are in a lower price point with better profit margin, um, like things like splitters. But, um, you know, when you're talking about Sydney, Melbourne, um, I think I think a million, around the million mark. And, of course, it's not every property worth a million dollars. Like, you have to research your area to make sure, you know, to find the mar- gap in the market that you're going to meet. And for us at the moment, it's um, professional couples, uh, gay couples and downsizers. Okay, um, so um, yeah, so you've got to make sure that you're filling a, a gap in the market. In targeting this type of market, Jensen looks for potential in properties such as a big living area and a more inviting aspect with entertainment areas. A lot of it's about the type of property you buy. So if I'm um, renovating for a downsizer market, I want to have decent sized living areas because um, downsizers have big furniture. They, they, some of which they can't part with. Um, so the first thing is, is the living area going to be big enough? Okay. So, and it, you know, it even comes down to styling. If your stylist fills the room with furniture and makes the living room small, it's going to, you know, create a buyer objection for your market. So, um, so really creating a decent um, living area. So in terms of laundry, you can get away with a European laundry. Yet if you're renovating for a family, um, particularly in a suburban area, um, uh, European laundry may not cut it. Um, so you can sometimes get away with not having a bath but rather than uh, and go for more of a luxurious type bathroom, have double showers and double basins if possible. Um what else can I think of? Having outdoor entertainment areas, so um, really um, playing that up so it's really um, inviting. Um, bells and whistles, you know, um, you know, things like putting a wine fridge in the island bench, having an entertainer kitchen, maybe um, putting an island bench in the kitchen so people can sort of entertain around, around that. Yeah, that sort of thing. When undertaking renovations, she believes who you work with is really important. If I can outsource something, I will. Like I tend not to try and do everything myself. Um, so to the point where now I even um, use buyers agents, whereas once upon a time I would never have done that. Um, uh, in terms of your finance, if you're renovating to sell, it, it really doesn't work with the mortgage broker structure, which is a shame because I, I think a good mortgage broker is like gold. Um, in terms of your team in the renovation, obviously the um, having a team of trades that you can work with over and over again, um, is, it, it makes it easy, there's no doubt about that. But um, you can put a team together quite quickly. Like I think people get quite daunted about the idea of not having this trade team that they, um, you know, not having that sort of really established trade team. but. Um, I have actually put together a team in a week. It is possible. Um, you just got to follow a process, um, and particularly in terms of due diligence with the trades. Um, 
so yeah, but of course we do have trades that we use over and over again. Um, and that makes it very easy because um, we're used to working together. You know, it makes it very easy. They anticipate your needs because they know the types of renos you do, um, all that sort of thing. So, how does she determine who the best people are when establishing a solid, trustworthy team? So, we um, have a really specific due diligence process in terms of the reference checks that we do, um, license check, um, insurance um, certificates, certificates of currency, but we also do, I always uh, make sure that I do reference checks actually on the trades work and the people that they work with. One of the ways um, you can get good trades is if you notice trades that are working in your area, I take photos of their youth to get their contact details, you can actually then go and get an unsolicited reference from the person they're working for. You're not relying on the people they tell you to go to. Um, I would ask things like, how reliable are they? Um, you know, do they turn up on time? I'd want to look at their work, particularly tilers, painters, um, to check the renderers, to check the quality of their work. I'd be asking how hot they are on variations, like do they give and take or, you know, the minute you need to get a variation, um, those sort of things. As well as working with individual trades, Jansen also works with a builder when necessary. A lot of the smaller projects that we do, we don't really we don't really need a builder to manage the project. There will we'll need a builder for some elements of it. If you know, like if we need to get um, you know a construction certificate, then or you know council approval, we'll need to uh, we will need to have a builder to do that. Um, but we tend to um, work with trades as well. So we'll have a builder to do the stuff that the builder has to do, and then well we'll have a trade. You know, the finishing trade will manage ourselves. That's a cost-saving measure. Now, at the School of Renovation, Jansen is working on a few entrepreneurial strategies that allow all types of investors to take on projects from the time port to even children. One of the things that we've been doing a lot of recently is um, joint ventures. So, what we find is that when people come to us, they will either be um, someone that's quite asset rich but um, doesn't have the ability to get a loan so they'll have, they may have a line of credit and have some money um, they can access to actually do a project or we will have someone that's working full time, um, can get a loan but are quite time poor. And so one of the things that we've found really beneficial is actually pairing them up and, um, and to actually do a project together so that Often the time poor person that's, that's working full time can do some of the sort of offside administration and whatever to contribute to the project. And then the person that's asset rich but um, has plenty of time is able to run the project. And we're finding that that is, um, is a really powerful strategy because it doesn't matter what you do, you need to have a deposit to get started on something. And if someone doesn't have a deposit, then that's a good way of getting to work and um, getting a deposit um, to go off and then buy a property. And so, you know, I was talking about doing projects with our children. We call it the avocado smash strategy. And that's really basically what we're doing with them. They have um, serviceability because they have a dog. Um, we put in the, um, the, the cash from a line of credit, do the project together and, and walk away um, with, so rather than us taking money out of our pocket to give to them to go and buy a house, that, that we're actually doing it together. So it teaches them entrepreneurial skills 
and it's just good fun. She admits that the risk of pairing up joint venture partners who don't work well together is a possibility. To avoid this situation, the process is monitored from the inception of the partnership. I've come across lots of people um, who have been in horrible um, joint venture situations and I think, um, and as a result of that, when we, um, when we help people to put together a joint venture, we actually do it in our um, mentoring program so I'm able to monitor that process and make sure that, um, that it is um, done in a way that's, um, that um, manages the risk um, responsibly and um, so that they have the best opportunity for a good outcome. A personal habit which has affected Jansen's day-to-day life and helped her achieve wealth and success has been persistence. The personal habit that I think has been the um, most powerful has been just being relentless. Like in terms of finding properties and um, and and securing them, um, I think being prepared to go further than others do. For the next five years, she's now focusing on how she can help others achieve amazing results through property investing. What am I really excited about? I'm really excited about the number of results I can produce for the people I work with. I've already got what I want. Um, I'm really excited about what's happening in our community. So I've got lots, we've got lots of exciting projects. I've got a student in Victoria at the moment currently buying a I like a yoga retreat, so you know, it's, so it's combining her property journey with her business journey. Um, I've got three sisters that are doing joint ventures together. They've sold their business and their this is their new life. Um, yeah, I've just got lots of exciting things happening. For those who would like to become involved with the program at the School of Renovating, or just to connect with Jansen, you can do so via Facebook or her website. So the best way to connect with us is to either come over to our Facebook page, um, uh, which is uh, the School of Renovating, or um, come to our website, which is www.schoolofrenovating.com. And you can also um, get in contact with me just by sending me an email at bernadette at theschoolofrenovating.com. But please know I'm not that hot on email, so I will get a response. It may not be immediately. Thank you to Bernadette Jansen, our guest on this episode of Property Investory. If you want to hear more about her journey, then visit our website at propertyinvestory.com. Simply type in the search bar Bernadette Jansen and select that episode to learn more about her story. Also, if you haven't subscribed to receive your free property case studies that I only send out exclusively via email, you can text me your email address to 0499881040 to subscribe. These real case studies are from experienced property investors where they share specific numbers of their portfolio, the strategies and much more. Simply text me your email address to 0499881040 to get your free case studies. Thanks for listening.